Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. As always, I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. We are going to talk about a recent champion. The Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup in six games. If you're interested in hearing about the NBA Finals, which coincidentally ended in six games as well, Chris and I have devised a special podcast devoted towards that. It's part of our special that we post every month called Clee Talk. Uh, hopefully you're able to pick up on the fact that Chris and I are from Cleveland. So when things involve Cleveland sports, we have a slant and we have a view that we can't really hide. So if you want to hear what we have to say about the NBA finals, download that podcast and and listen to it after this one. Uh, we have some good things to talk about in there. I think we were fairly neutral given our Cleveland stance. I think we did it justice. Yeah, we, we could have been far worse with our ideas and the things we said. And I thought it was good. It was good. It's a good talk. Definitely check it out. But the Stanley cup, uh, the Blackhawks beat the Tampa Bay lightning in six games. What, what are your initial thoughts on that? Well, the Stanley cup is the coolest trophy in all the sports. I think. Yeah, it is. I you think can eat out of it. Yeah. You can do anything you want. Every player gets his turn with the Stanley cup and it's passed around from team to team. I think it's the coolest trophy in all the sports. So, and it's called, I mean, the Stanley, it just has like a cool name and everything. I don't know. I, I love the Stanley Cup. Yeah, the trophy, the trophy is the name of the playoffs, of the series. Right. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Stanley Cup everything. I mean, the Stanley yeah, Cup the is su- hockey. The Super Bowl needs to be a bowl. <laughs> like the trophy, the, the Super Bowl is the tro- the Super Bowl. I got, I, give me the Super Bowl. You can right. eat ice cream out of it, you know? Right, cool. or like just pull the cereal or something like that, if that's your thing. Yeah. But anyway, um, my thoughts are it's very impressive what Chicago has accomplished. I'm not the biggest hockey guy in the world. I was a bigger hockey fan about 10 years ago. I don't really have a team to cheer for being in the Cleveland area. I can't, you know, I've, I've cheered for different teams during my tenure in hockey, but... Honestly, I don't follow it that closely, but I know that anytime a team wins three championships in a condensed period of time, it's impressive stuff. And the Chicago Blackhawks won in 2010, and now in 2015, and I believe it was also 2013, so three out of six years for them, including two of the last three. So very impressive. Anytime your team can win three titles in a short year, it's it's a borderline dynasty, but Bob... Do you consider what the Blackhawks have done a dynasty? See, I would consider it more if the LA Kings didn't win in 2014 and 2012. And that just leads me to believe that there are a few really good teams and then the rest of the league. And I don't know, a dynasty is one team dominating for a year-long stretch. And the Kings in the last four years have just as much acclaim to being the most dominant team as the Blackhawks do. The Blackhawks do have that title in 2010, which gives them more pedigree if you expand the debate out towards six years. But the Kings are right there with them, and that that just makes it seem a little odd to me. Yeah, for me, I think a dynasty is a very strong word. I think it's a word that's thrown around very loosely. I don't believe a team that wins two straight titles 
is a dynasty. I think you got to get three, and you got to do it fast. I think what the Spurs did from 03 to 07, three out of four, to me was a dynasty. I think what the Giants are doing, even though the Cardinals got a couple in there from in the last five years in baseball, is a dynasty, three out of five. This three out of six is like the bare minimum. It just makes the cutoff, as far as I'm concerned. Because I still think it's impressive, but there's something about going two years without winning one that just kind of, it's like, well, wait a second. I don't know if that's really a dynasty. I don't think you can go more than one. And if you don't have back-to-back, it's, it's a lot harder. But certainly the fact that they have two out of three is a strong case. And if they were to defend their title next year, then yes, no doubt, three out of four is definitely a dynasty. Back-to-back, and then when you expand it out, four out of seven, yes. But the fact that they went two years without winning one, great accomplishment, no doubt. But Dynasty, I don't know. I mean, compare it to the Miami Miami Heat went a little longer, but that would be like if you stretched their back-to-back title all the way out to 06, I wouldn't consider them a Dynasty. So I think that the Blackhawks barely make the cutoff, but it's definitely one of the weaker Dynasties because there was those two years in a row where they didn't win a title. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They they do they have some makings of it. It just seems to be spread out a little bit too thin. I mean, the players are still relatively the same guys. Kane, Keith, and Crawford, uh, probably the three most uh, popular players on the roster. They've been there for all six years, have been part of the, these teams that have won all three championships. So that is is intact it just doesn't feel like it to me. It feels too. It feels too thin for me. And 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 the fact that the Kings won two in between their dynasty, like I, it's weird. It, I I don't think it. I don't think you can you can call it a dynasty. I think you can call it a really good run, a really good era. But uh, obviously, like you said, it's not over with. If they if they win twenty sixteen, then absolutely, absolutely. But uh, as it stands right now, no, no, it's just a good era for the Chicago Blackhawks. See, I, I kind of agree with you in the Kings factor, but that doesn't factor in as much for me. I look at what the individual team has accomplished, because if you go back into the 80s, I certainly think the Lakers and Celtics were both dynasties that went head-to-head a lot. But I think you can consider two kind of dynasties there and you carve out certain years. But let's take Chicago and compare them to their peers, the teams that are other hockey dynasties. And when you do that you'll probably think less of this run. And we're not trying to pile on the Blackhawks fans here. Again, let me just reiterate. Three championships in a condensed period of time is impressive. But the word dynasty implies that it happens in a quick time period. And I just think that those two years where they didn't win a title gives me a little bit of hesitation of putting them in a dynasty class, especially when you go back to 1976. Montreal won four straight from 76 to 79. Then, right after that, the New York Islanders won four straight Stanley Cups from 80 to 83. And then right after that, Edmonton won four out of five, two sets of back-to-backs from 84 to 88. So when you compare them to the other dynasties of the modern era of this sport, this one's pretty flimsy. And when I say the modern era, from 1942 to 1967, 
there were only six teams. So it's easier to accumulate a dynasty. Montreal won five straight in that span. Toronto won five of eight. But they were only going up against five teams. This era, you know, Montreal and stuff like that, I think they were closer to 18, 20 teams. So it's a little bit more impressive. But when you think about that, other teams in their own sport winning four out of five and two sets of four straights, this certainly doesn't measure up to those dynasties of the past. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I see. I disagree. I I think with the Celtics and the Lakers, that's an that's an era of dominance by them. They don't have individual. If they trade, if you trade off with another team, it's not a dynasty because you're not dominating. There's another team just as dominant as you, and you have two individual dynasties. That's not how dynasties work. You know, that's not what the word came from. You can't have two competing dynasties. I, you have to have a different word for it. The, a dynasty is one team just owning something. Or, or one air, one group owning something, and you can't have two groups competing. I mean, I guess. I, I don't know. It just depends on your definition of a dynasty. Certainly it helps when you win three out of four or four straight or three straight or something like that because then for that period of time, there's no one disputing you. I have to go back and look up the exact years of some of the Lakers and the Celtics titles, but didn't Pat Riley coin the term three-peat? Pretty sure the Lakers won three in a row during that run. So if that's the case, it's hard to not call them a dynasty for that period of time. That's kind of where I disagree with you, that when you look at it, if a team wins three straight, they were a dynasty. Yeah, you're right. I I just, and I don't, I, I don't have the the Celtics and, and the Lakers lists of, of championships. So I don't know either, but when you apply it to the, the Blackhawks, they got it. They got to win back to back, man. Like exert your dominance for an extended period of time beyond one year. Okay. I just brought up some of the, uh, NBA champions. Okay. The Lakers won in nine, 85, 87, 88 and 89. So four out of five, that certainly is a dynasty. And then when you go back, they got to the NBA Finals in seven out of eight years and eight out of ten years. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and looking at the champions, the Celtics did have a few wins, but not back-to-back like the Lakers. So the Lakers were the dynasty of the 80s. Right, and the Celtics went to four straight, but they lost to the Lakers one or twice then the Celtics beat them once in a 3-4 series. So the Celtics won two out of three, which is solid, but I guess they kind of, you know, they broke up that Lakers four, three out of four, but at the same time, it's just really hard for me to, I, I think the Lakers, I agree with you, I think the Lakers were the dynasty of the 80s and the Celtics got a few championships. Yeah, they're a tough competition and they can't be, they can't be sorry. they one from 1957 to 1969. Now that's a dynasty. Two- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's like a, a regime. Right. That's just insane. That's like an empire dynasty. That's not just a dynasty. That's like the Roman Empire. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, again, look, we're not trying to say the Blackhawks didn't do something special here. Three championships in six years is great. And if they add another one next year, or even if they add another one in 2017, I'd say three out of five is a dynasty. Again, right at the cutoff, but I'd say it's good enough. So, look, 
Chicago, we're not trying to pile on you. Enjoy your championship. Enjoy the fact that you've had an amazing run. But when you when you start talking about dynasty, I just think again those two years where they didn't win, you can't go more than two years. You can't go more than one year without winning one. Yep, I agree. Congratulations to you. We just like talking about dynasties. It's fun. <laughs> it is fun. It shows you how much we know about hockey there. But again, <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about the game for like a second. <laughs> again, but we freely admit, I mean, we're, hockey is not our strong suit, but we wanted to give some love to the Chicago Blackhawks, even though it was kind of a backhanded compliment by not calling them a dynasty. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to switch gears a little bit to a sport that we do follow a little closer, and that's the NBA. We dedicate an entire podcast to it, as Bob mentioned earlier. It's our Clee Talk podcast, and the NBA draft is right around the corner. That's the thing about the NBA. It's like the finals end, and then the draft is a week later. So unlike other sports, you don't have a lot of breathing room. But the big debate in the NBA draft is who's going to go number one. You've got two pretty strong players at the top with a third guy who's been getting a lot of hype and probably going to go top three as well. But the two I'm talking about is Jaleel Okafor and Carl Anthony Towns. And Bob, if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves, who do you take? Who would you take and who do you think they're going to take? Uh, I think I think I've read that, that Saunders likes Okafor over Towns, but you know that could be hot air. Um, we, we've asked this question a couple times at different points in the college basketball season and my opinion has never changed it's Okafor he can do something that no 19 year old center entering the NBA as a rookie has been able to do in a really long time and that's play in the posts with a really good offensive polished skill set and that's something that from watching the NBA for over 15 years some some centers come in and they're just big and they never either have the talent or the mindset to to develop a post game. So you can get a guy at 19 that already has that. You can teach him everything else. You can make him stronger. You can make him you can make him smarter. But he's got that post sk- skill set and you have Andrew Wiggins. That's a really good pick and roll uh, combination on offense. So I, I'm going Okafor all the way. No, no disrespect to Towns, but I'm going Okafor. No, certainly. I think Carl Anthony Towns is an exceptional consolation prize, but I think Okafor is the number one talent in this draft. And you said it. I mean, I think he's the most polished big man coming out of college since Tim Duncan. I mean, Tim Duncan comes out of college. He's very polished, helped lead his team to a championship. I'm not saying Okafor is going to do that, lead his team to a championship, but I think that he's got the offensive skill set and the polished post moves that you can teach him defense you can te- he can adjust to the game with his size and his rebounding ability but you can't teach some of these natural skills that I saw him exhibit while he was playing for Duke but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if it was Carl Anthony Towns because everything I read says that the Minnesota personnel sets up more for Carl Anthony Towns I think that would be a mistake though I don't think you draft your personnel I think you draft the best player available and I think Okafor with Wiggins is a better one-two punch than Towns with Wiggins. Not saying that Towns wouldn't be a good player in the NBA because I think he'll have success, but I'd be much scared, much more scared of Okafor and Wiggins for the long term than I would with Towns and Wiggins. I just think the two complement each other very well. I think Okafor has that kind of skill set that 
he can come into the NBA and you can teach him kind of the things that other people need to learn, but he's going to have that skill set as a base. And certainly both of these guys are going to take time to develop. It generally takes big men a year or two to develop. You know, Anthony Davis didn't come in and blow the world on fire. You saw the flashes, but it takes a little time for the big men to develop. I'd go Okafor because I think he's the better player. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And you don't you don't draft towards personnel when you you're you're bad enough to get the number one overall pick. My goodness, like it your team isn't that good. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I I think Okafor has um we've said this for other players. I think in the NFL draft, Okafor has a higher floor. Towns probably has a higher ceiling, but I don't think there's much difference between the two in terms of that. I just think Okafor is is more set up to succeed. The odds of both these guys, two seven foot centers going one two, and both of them becoming stars, that's the odds of that happening are pretty low. So you you better pick right, and Okafor has something that he can hang his hat on in the NBA. Towns has probably more athleticism, but I I would I, I would go Okafor. I take the sure thing. I do think both of them are pan out. It's hard to say whether or not they'll be superstars. I think Okafor has a better chance of being a superstar than Towns. I certainly think both of them have superstar potential. But you're right, a lot can go wrong with big men. All it takes is one knee injury or one fluke injury and an entire career is derailed. And you obviously can't predict that, and we obviously don't hope that. But if you're the Los Angeles Lakers sitting at number two, what do you do if Okafor is off the board? Uh, Towns probably has the makings of a better mid-range jump shot and i think that that i, I think you, you take the next center whoever whoever it is okafor or towns you have julius randall the power forward from kentucky who missed all of 2014 you would get a log jam if you if you take one of these centers pair him with randall but like like we said you don't draft for personnel you take the best guy and i think these two centers if they if if they pan out, they're both going to be really good, and so the Lakers, you, you take a, you take the center that's there. You don't get cute and take D'Angelo Russell or, or Emmanuel Mudia. You take you take the center that's there. I agree with you, but I certainly think the Lakers hope Carl Anthony Towns falls because Julius Randle isn't going to be cast aside anytime soon, and he's more of an interior type player. Towns can at least go. I think Towns would play better off of Randle. Than Okafor would. I think Okafor might be a little bit of a log jam for the Lakers, but Towns, I think, would complement Randall a little bit more, obviously assuming Randall's fully recovered. But you think about the Lakers, I mean, Kobe in what's probably going to be his last year, Towns and Randall, if they get one free agent, they could, they maybe could make some noise in the West. They would certainly be interesting to watch. I don't know if they could I don't know who they could supplant of those of those top nine teams, but they would definitely be interesting to watch. I mean, this year they're unwatchable, so yeah, it'd be interesting. The two young guys up and coming playing with Kobe Bryant, I mean, that would be fun to watch just in and of itself. We're talking about the seventy sixers now. This team really lost out on those draft picks and they had the Lakers pick if it wasn't top five. They had the Miami pick if it wasn't top ten. Both of them didn't didn't materialize. So 
talking. We, we had a bit of a debate about that earlier about the 76ers making those trades and not. Yeah. I said that they weren't going to pan out and they didn't yet. But hey, they still could in the future. Well, we'll see. But if you're the 76ers now, what happens if D'Angelo Russell goes in the top two and you're faced with possibly passing on Okafor or Towns because you've got a log jam of yourself of your own with Embiid and Nerlens Noel. Well, now there's talk that Joel Embiid is going to miss the next season as well. And if that is actually true, if his foot is that bad and there's a center on the board, take take the center. Both these guys are are, are healthy and and totally able Forget, forget about Embiid, and if he comes back, then you have the then you have a, a luxury. You have three great centers that you can you can ship off for for more draft picks. Do you realize that the Seventy Sixers have five second round picks this year? That's a sixth of the seventh of the second round is the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. That's awesome, and all of them are signing one year deals, like that yeah. last guy that drafted. Yeah, I mean, if they pick all six guys, that's half the roster are, are rookies. It's ridiculous, but yeah, I would. I mean, if Embiid is hurt, you you take that center. If he if he isn't, if he's coming back for next season, yeah, they have a very interesting decision to make. If Russell's off the board, if there's a center there, do you really dip down into that second tier at the third pick? That that's a tough situation. I don't know who I would pick for them. I would say that they're so bad, you just take the best player and hope it pans out. And that's just, I would that's take, not how they think. <laughs> no, that's not how they think. They think backwards, and I've criticized them in the past. You just mentioned their six second-round picks. They're going to have seven rookies on their squad if they if they draft all of them. Wait, no, you said five second-round picks or six second-round picks? I said five second-round picks, which will make up one-sixth of the second round. Okay, okay, five second-round picks plus the rookies. So six rookies on their squad if they draft with all those picks. I could easily see them packaging a pair and moving into the first round with a contender who may want to add some young depth or something along those lines. So I'd be skeptical if they draft all five players in the second round. But again, every trade that the 76ers make, they get credit for stockpiling these assets, second round picks. And then when we get to draft them, everyone's like, oh, well, they're just second round picks. And that's what I was saying at the trade deadline. The 76ers what are they doing? Why did you trade Michael Carter-Williams for another draft pick that didn't materialize? I mean, what, if the Lakers pick materialized, that would have been seven rookies. It's like, it's just ridiculous. I just feel like they're overkill on acquiring these draft picks, and they're not drafting well. Like, Noel has panned out. He certainly showed flashes this year. But if Embiid is seriously hurt, and there were red flags on him at the draft, wow, man, that's just... That's just a waste of top three pick. Yeah, it certainly doesn't look good. With I mean, even before the, the rumors that Embiid might miss next season, he's had some. He's had a rough rehab year, and have had some really crazy stories about him in terms of attitude and things he's done. So, I mean, the 76ers are a joke, and looks like they're going to be an even bigger joke. Uh, I. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get into the seventy sixers debate again. <laughs> There's a podcast <laughs> up that we can. Uh, NBA trade deadline, I think, is what it's called. Go take a listen to that if you want to hear more about what we have to say about them. 
But, you know, we've talked about the top three picks a lot when we talk about the NBA draft. What about the next round? Who who are guys that you like? What are good fits? Is there something that jumps out to you? I, I know one guy that you really like. Well, the guy I really like, who I think is top five talent, and it's going to be a steal if he falls out of the top five, is Willie Cauley-Stein. I loved watching him at Kentucky. I think he could be a defensive anchor for a team. I certainly think whoever winds up getting him is going to get a big-time steal if it's outside of the top five. A couple guys who I'm intrigued about are Emmanuel Moutier and Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow just set the tournament on fire. But the whole time you watched him, you saw a guy who had that little tweener complex in the sense that he, you know, you don't really know where he's going to fit. It reminds me a little bit of a more polished, eh, gosh, what's his name? The guy for Charlotte took number two overall from Gilchrist, Michael Kidd. Yeah, Gilchrist. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I completely blanked on his name there. Reminds me a lot of him. A little more polished offensively, though. He's going to be intriguing. I think he's got the skill set to succeed, especially in this NBA where we just saw a team in the Warriors win playing small ball. But he's got to. He's got to be on a team that already has an established kind of superstar. I don't think he's the answer. I think he could be a strong number two or number three. So be interesting if, if that's worth a top five pick. I don't know. But it's one of those situations where you might just have to take the guy and stockpile and hope you can get the number one guy later. Yeah. Justice Winslow, classic example of a guy that is going to get taken probably five spots too high expectations are going to be put on him if i loved him in the tournament i said that every time we talked about the tournament justice winslow is just having a fantastic tournament looks like the best player on the court he was one of the difference makers for duke oh absolutely he's 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 like a smaller draymond green with but he doesn't have he, he can't shoot the ball and he can barely really dribble uh you know break anybody down off a dribble if you can't do that and you're going to get picked in the top five, that's very interesting. Uh, a lot of people like him going to Orlando and that's going to pair him with Alfred Payton at shooting guard and uh, Victor Oladipo at point guard. So now you have your, your three perimeter players, all three guys that can't shoot a three point shot to save their life. I, it's going to be a really good defensive team because those three guys are crazy athletic and big and long, but uh, you need a jump shot at some point. So Justice Winslow, I'm concerned about just because he's going to go into a situation where too much is expected of him. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier is really intriguing. That six foot five point guard turned down the scholarship from Southern Methodist and has uh, played in played like four games in China before hurting his ankle or something. He he did well in those games, but he hasn't played a lot. There's a guy taken last year. Do you remember Dante Exum? Yes, vaguely. He was the fifth overall pick, a six-six point guard from Australia that nobody really knew much about. He was terrible last year. He he scored four point eight points for Utah. I like the there's so little information and so little so many questions about the talent that these guys are playing with overseas that it's really risky to take an American kid playing overseas. I. I, I would not do it. I would not touch Emmanuel Moutier just because I don't. I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to get out of him. 
he's intriguing certainly because he's fast and he's six foot five and he's a point guard, but man, it's a, it's, that's real. That's a really big risk to take a guy that in less than a year, you can be like, how, why did this guy get taken in the top 10? There's nothing here other than his size. If I'm the Kings, the Kings are projected to have a choice between Moutier and Willie Cauley-Stein. Boy, just imagine Willie Cauley-Stein playing center with DeMarcus Cousins moving over to power forward. That could be a pretty scary post, and that yeah. could, I think that could improve them really fast. Now, obviously, Cauley-Stein, like all big men, are going to take a little bit to develop, but I think Cauley-Stein could come in and have a bit of an impact early and then develop into that rim protector that teams still need. Yeah, he Cully Stein is is the the prototypical center that you see now, the rim protector, the high energy guy that really doesn't have a lot of basketball skill. Uh, yeah, that'd be intriguing to run him against uh, with Demarcus Cousins. I would put Stein at at the four so he could guard the more versatile uh, athletes that that play power forward. Another another slot that he's put, being put in is the Detroit Pistons, and that's almost a similar situation with. Andre Drummond and Greg Monroe. I mean, that's that'd be a really intimidating front court, assuming Greg Monroe walks like he's intending to. Yeah, it looks like Monroe's going to walk though, so they might not get the trio there. Well, still uh, Drummond with Kali Stein. That's another. Oh, that would be awesome. Defensive juggernaut. What about this dude, uh, Porzingis? Kristaps Porzingis. Have you have you heard about him? I have heard his name. I've read about him. I don't know much about the European players, to be perfectly honest with you. I know he's a seven-foot power forward, but other than that, I mean, I haven't seen any of these guys play, overseas guys play, so I can't talk too in-depth about them. Yeah, neither. I, I watched a highlight video, and he didn't look fast. He didn't I, – I never saw him shoot a jump shot. He just dunked on people because he's seven feet tall and he's 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 nineteen years old. Um, everyone is so interested in finding the next Dirk Nowitzki. It it really bothers me how high these guys are getting taken. Dirk wasn't that high of a draft pick. Like he just kind of, I I don't know. I I I would not I would not touch this guy. He he doesn't. There's hype about him. But when you watch the tape, he doesn't jump out. I mean, I watched Justice Winslow, and there's definitely room for him in the NBA. I watched this guy play against subpar talent, and I, I'm like, okay, I, why is that a highlight? He's just he's just scoring a layup. So I I would not touch him. Absolutely not. The guy I like though is Frank Kaminsky. I certainly think that he has potential to be in the NBA offensively. He's going to have to get a little bit bigger defense. He's going to take a while to adjust defensively, but he's got the offensive skill set that can come right in. And if he's only asked to be a big off the bench to start, like say he goes to a team like Atlanta or Washington, he might not fall that far. But say he does, that could be pretty scary for them. Certainly a, a, a seven-footer that can shoot a three is or even a, a, a deep two is a is a very valuable commodity, something that some centers will never be able to do. So there, there's definitely a place for Kaminsky. I, I wonder uh, if the, the tournament raised his profile a little too much where he's going to go to a, a situation that's not that good for him. Like I, I would much rather see him on a playoff team 
learning and, and getting valuable minutes than I mean a starting on on a bad team. That I don't think that's a good situation for him. Well, NBA.com has him going to Phoenix, which is 13. But say he falls. I mean, if he winds up on Oklahoma City, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Houston, Washington, or even Boston at 16, he could help all of those teams. I think those would be very good fits for him if he can just get into that 14 to 19 range. There wouldn't be too much pressure on him unless he went to Boston. But Milwaukee could use him. I mean, all those teams... I just think he'd be such a great fit there, especially if he gets to Washington because John Wall is so great at creating that corner three. He would just, I think he'd fall in love with Frank Kaminsky, to tell you the truth. He'd set up so many opportunities for him. And the fact that he'd go to a team that has Nene Gortat, Paul Pierce, Beal, Wall, a lot of strong playoff veterans, I think that's the by far best fit for him if he makes it all the way to 19. And it would make Washington a lot more scarier if, of course, he pans out. But I I think if he can get into that 14 to 19 range, he'd wind up on a really good fit. See, I I would like, actually, I like Kaminsky going to the Suns with with the style of offense that they play. Uh, They weren't as deadly last year as they were two years ago because Channing Frye walked and he was that stretch four classic role that, that you use in the space and pace, so... I would, I would be intrigued to see Kaminsky in the Suns. But like you said, if he if he falls further to a more uh, polished team that has some some clear goals on offense and and some playmaking talent around him, yeah, I, I definitely see a future for him for sure. Another guy I like who is currently going to the Washington Wizards, who I think could be a strong that backup point guard in this league, is Jerrion Grant. I think. He's got all the makings. He's a 6'5 guy. He can shoot pretty well. Come off the bench. I I think if he winds up on a contender and he can run that second unit, he'd be a very solid addition to a team that has some playoff stability. Definitely. And they they obviously need insurance with John Wall, just the way he plays. And I think Grant, uh, I think he's 23. He's a a fifth-year senior, so he has some maturity and some, some experience that can help him handle a playoff team right off the bat. So yeah, I, I liked him too. I wish that he his profile didn't get raised so much during the tournament so that he kind of would kind of fall to our team. But uh, yeah, he's a, he's definitely a good pick. I would love it if Grant fell to the Cavs. That would just make my draft, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I wouldn't hey, mind I, it if the Cavs took Terry Rozier or Tyus Jones, though. Tyus Jones is another point guard that jumped out at me in the tournament. little undersized, but he certainly has a great distribution skills and can run the offense in that regard. Yeah, he's he that, that guy is fast and completely athletic. I, th- I think the Cavs definitely do need a, a backup point guard, and, and the, the draft is, is a great spot to take a, a good backup. Um, so... The NBA draft, though, has guys fall a lot more and a lot faster than in the NFL draft. I, I feel like, uh, you know, mock drafts will have a guy going 14 and he gets taken in the second round, especially when you have the New York Knicks and the 76ers picking in the top five. Anything is possible because I, I do not have faith in, in both of those teams making a good pick. So I think... 
uh, if you're sitting uh, like the Orlando Magic at five, you have to be pretty happy that you have some fools ahead of you. That's why I don't get all excited when the Philadelphia 76ers acquire a draft pick. It sounds like you're coming around to my way of thinking about them, Bob. I mean, I have never had faith in their drafting skills. I just think that they are hoping to amass enough draft picks where it's the shotgun effect and something has to give, something has to stick. I've never have endorsed them as as good drafters. Oh, no, I'm just giving you a hard time. It's all good. (laughs) Yeah, I feel you. No, but guys fall all the time. I mean, before the 2011 draft, I said that Kawhi Leonard was the number two player in the draft. I, I said I would take Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard if I were the Cavs. And then he fell all the way to 15, and the Spurs traded up to get him. And so the rest is history there. So, yeah, guys definitely fall in the NBA draft. And certainly, I mean, if you're a team like Cleveland, if you're some of these playoff teams, there will be guys available, and it'll be interesting to see if – those teams that were on the cusp of winning a championship can pick up a weapon that maybe will push them over the edge. Yeah, certainly. All right. Any other thoughts on the NBA draft? Any sleepers you wanted to talk about? We covered a lot of ground with that. Yeah. And we, and we uh, talked a lot about what the Cavs should do at 24. And I think that covers a lot of the late round guys in our Klee talk. So if you're interested in hearing uh, what we have to say about the later half of the draft, definitely listen to that. One guy that never got mentioned was R.J. Hunter from Georgia State. I think he definitely has a has a place in the league as, as a gunner, as a shooter. So, uh, And he was a good story in the tournament, so I, I would be happy if he made it. Very, very, very true. All righty, man. Well, switching gears, we're going to give some love to the ladies here. They're in the knockout phase of the Women's World Cup, the 2015 Women's World Cup. They just started some of these games, so... Our predictions may seem a little bit old, but we're going to fast forward. We're going to look at the bracket and try to pick out our final four teams. So we're going to try to project a couple rounds out here. Bob, when you look at this knockout bracket, what are your first thoughts? When I look at it, my first thoughts are the USA emerged from the group of death with the best situation. They play Colombia, who I don't think is, 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 not, is very unimpressive to me. And then they're going to play the winners of China and Cameroon. Uh, Cameroon got demolished by Germany. My goodness, they got they got destroyed, I believe. No, wait. Sorry, that was Ivory Coast. Cameroon. I'm sorry. I'm getting I'm getting all confused with my with my teams. But anyway, the USA have a clear path to the final four. And uh, so, spoiler: I'm picking them to be in the final four. I think they they're easily going to handle Colombia, and then whoever wins China and Cameroon, they're they're taking care of it. It's unfortunate that on the other side of that bracket waits Germany, because I think those are the still those were the favorites coming in, and uh, after what I saw, I think those are still the favorites to win it all. But they're going to have to play each other in the semifinals, so that will be a a good matchup. And I think Germany has a tougher route to that semifinal than. Uh, than really anybody else, the the quality of competition that they'll have to play. What are, what do you what are your thoughts? It's not even close, man. The middle of these brackets is where it's at. Germany has to play Sweden in the round of sixteen. I mean, talk about a reward from winning your group. That's more like a consolation prize. Goodness, Sweden's a solid team, and then the winner of that's probably gonna have to play France, who's probably the fourth best team in this tournament in a quarterfinal. And then you go to the other middle pod, you got Brazil versus Australia, and the winner of that's probably going to have to play Japan. So 
the middle of this knockout bracket, those two middle pods are really tough. And then you look at the bottom with Norway, England, Canada, and Switzerland. It's kind of a toss-up because I don't think those teams are very strong. I think that, that someone in that middle, like France or Japan or Brazil, should have been on that bottom pod. I think all of those teams are stronger than any of those four teams. But I'll give the nod to Canada there just because they're on their home court. What, what do you think? Yeah, I have I I agree with you. Um, just because I, I to be honest, I I don't know enough about those four teams to make a definitive choice. So I and Canada is is a good team, and playing at home, I I yeah, they're gonna get to the semifinals. If I had to pick my top four teams, it'd be USA, Germany, Brazil, and Japan. Brazil and Japan have to play, so I'm I'm really torn about that matchup i i think brazil's gonna handle austria i think japan's gonna handle the netherlands pretty easily uh that's gonna be the best game before we get to the final four i i'm i'm picking japan i i think i think japan's gonna do it what do you think i picked japan because they were the defending champs but brazil has the best player in the world and i agree with you that's gonna be the best matchup before the final four the second best matchup for me will be germany france i think that'll be another slugfest but I have to give the nod to Germany because, like you said, they're the best team in the bracket. So I'd go USA USA versus Germany and then Canada versus Japan in the other semifinal. All right, we're in agreement. Yeah, I think Japan, they, they're they they're playing more German than the Germans. The, the way that they control the ball and they only won by one goal in each of their matches. But it, if you watch any of it you'd never got the sense that they're gonna lose at any moment they they just controlled the pace and the ball and they took care of business uh yeah that that's why I'm, I'm picking them over brazil but that's the only matchup that i'm unsure about oh certainly i think brazil could win that matchup i actually think france could beat germany that would be a bigger upset though because germany is looked very dominant and they are the best team I'm, yeah, cer- certainly. I'm more confident Germany is going to win, but I think that'll be a good match. Brazil-Japan is a toss-up, and unless one of them gets upset, but I don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't see it either. Um, yeah, who knows? It'll be it'll be fun to watch. It, it always gets interesting when you once you get to the knockout. I didn't. I I forgot that uh, three of the four teams advance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they they did something weird where they took the six third place teams and pick the four best of them and slotted them because they didn't have enough team they had 24 teams and 16 advanced to the round of 16 yeah i forgot that they do that in the women's world cup and so i was kind of confused when i was like reading about it and, and checking the scores and i'm like what is, how is sweet how how is sweden in here i don't get it but yeah it's a little it's a little odd but at the same time they needed to have an even bracket so they had to take a few more teams I don't know if I like that third place teams moving on, but I don't know how they would set it so that they could only do it. Maybe they do four groups of six and have more group play matches next time. That'd be interesting. I don't know. I don't think I, it's not going to impact my enjoyment of it. I just, I thought it odd when I saw it. Certainly, certainly won't impact my enjoyment of it. But if you had four groups of six, five group play matches, that would be more TV money. <laughs> Just saying, Women's World Cup, you might want to consider it. I don't know. I don't think they're going to do that. But, hey, if we're in agreement for the Final Four. We'll see if it comes true. 
certainly we've got a couple matches that could swing the other way. Yeah, definitely. And I think we, we talk with certainty about some of these matches and, you know, anything can happen. They, they're, these are the 16 best teams and we'll see. But Col- Colombia beat France. That was a shocker. That was a great match too. Yeah, that, that was surprising. It was surprising that France substituted its best player with 30 minutes to go. Do you think some shenanigans were in play? I don't know, but France ended up winning its group. I, I think it realized that if it took third, it would play the U.S. in the round of 16 or something like that, if there were shenanigans in play. But it is odd. That substitution was very odd. But, hey, Colombia had a one nothing lead when that sub happened, and they got a second goal with, like, 91. It was a very exciting play because they... The goalie didn't think they were going to attack, and they did, and they came up first and, and scored a real quick goal. So it was nice. It, it, it was a very, very cool way to win. Yeah, there's there have been some really good matches, some some huge blowouts, but some some really intense matches as well. All righty, we got to talk about our favorite topic in the whole wide world. June 23rd is decision. Well, I don't think it will be decision day, but it will be the day Tom Brady, is his appeal is heard by Roger Goodell, the guy, he, I hear they're going to call him as a witness too. That's kind of odd. They're going to call Goodell as a witness? Yeah, the, the NFLPA plans to call Roger Goodell as a witness in the proceedings, and I think that's an attempt to try and show that he's incapable of making an un- impartial ruling in the case trying to set the groundwork for an appeal. I see. Excuse me, not an appeal, a lawsuit, because they wouldn't be able to appeal in the NFL anymore. They'd have to sue the NFL in court like the Saints players did and were successful, actually. They got their suspensions overturned. Actually, they got them overturned, then reinstated, and then they heard the appeal was heard by Paul Tagliabooth, who overturned them again. So it was a really weird situation. I actually am going to make a prediction. I think Tom Brady will play in week one. I I'm, I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, I'm so tired of talking about this. I hope it's over, but we're going to talk about it again, I know, when, once the ruling comes out. Uh, I, I think his suspension will be reduced. I still think he's going to be suspended for something. No, I don't. I think that there's a lot of ammunition against the Wells report now. There was an independent review by American Enterprise Institute They were very critical of the Wells report, saying that its methods couldn't be duplicated and that they weren't consistent. I think Tom Brady, I think they're setting the groundwork to make Goodell look like he's incapable of hearing the appeal uh, neutrally. And so they're going to set that grounds. They're going to sue them. They're going to use this outside evidence. I think it's building towards a similar situation of Bounty Gate, where an outside source will vacate the suspension we will see and i cannot wait either that or robert Kraft's big show of not suing the nfl and his conversations with goodell leading up to that announcement laid a backdoor handshake deal to get tom brady on the field in week one i I could absolutely see that playing out as well either way i think tom brady will play i don't think he's going to be suspended all right i cannot wait We'll find out. I don't think we're going to find out on the 23rd. I think they generally hear the appeal and take a while to release a decision. But the Spygate thing is coming to a head. A lot of great stuff in sports. The NBA draft coming up. The Women's World Cup. 
talked about some dynasties. I mean, this was a jam-packed podcast. Hopefully you made it through. And if you did, thank you so much for your support. Please follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports, or Instagram, FenleyROADSports. Please come back to our website, FenleyRoadSports.com. Listen to our podcast. Check out our blogs. And, of course, subscribe and support us through iTunes. We thank you all for your support. Hope you come back next week. We'll have a lot more to talk about. A lot more Women's World Cup, a lot more NBA draft, and NBA free agency right around the corner. So a lot to look forward to in the future of sports. But for now, we will have to call it a day and talk to you another time. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Chris. All right, man. Take it easy, Bob.